height. It's been a couple of weeks. I can't remember if this is the right height or not. I'm going with it. We'll see what happens. I'm wearing my glasses today because my contacts have not been cooperating. I put them in this morning and uh, I couldn't really see. I couldn't really see all day yesterday. I was like, oh, I got them in the wrong eye. So I swapped them. I was like, yeah, I think that's better. And I went and sat down on my computer and went, oh, that's not better. So I just, I just trashed them and I got my glasses on. So anyway, bear with me. Uh, I, I don't even, good morning. Let's start there. I, I, this is one of those Sundays where like I don't even really know where to start because God has been doing so much. Thank you uh, to Alex and Lizzie for leading worship this morning. Uh, you ever read a passage of scripture? I, I'm going to get to why I'm saying thank you in just a minute. You ever read a passage of scripture and you, you kind of step back from it and go, huh? And then the more you read it and the more you study it, the more you meditate it, all, the, all of a sudden God just like makes fireworks go off in your brain. You're like, oh, oh, I see. We're going to have one of those today. I've had one this morning uh, and, and this week as I've been preparing for the sermon. And I hope that you guys get there with me where we all have that aha moment together. Um, but, you know, this morning, Callie talking about faith and our ability to trust God, about not having enough and God providing what we need. The story of the, the woman filling the jars of oil with just a little bit that she had. God's got a huge Thing. I don't know if y'all noticed a couple times during the worship, I like sat down and got my iPad out and I'm like, because I don't want to forget to, to say this. And so I tried to put some of those things in the right place. So we'll see how well that goes this morning. Um, I do want to say uh, thank you to Kerry publicly. I know he's not here, but I, I just want to share with you guys my heart for just a minute. It is hard for a pastor to share his pulpit. Not, not, not just me, but like a pastor in general, because there's a lot of weight right here, right? And so as the pastor, if you're going to be out and you ask somebody to speak in your stead, you want to make sure that their message and their heart is in the same direction that you feel like God's calling you to lead your church, right? That responsibility is on my shoulders, and it's such a blessing to have a guy like Kerry. I've known Kerry for years, and I've known that he, Kerry probably, uh, I would say in my opinion, is better at interpreting scripture even than I am. Um, but when I asked him, his immediate response is like, I'm not a preacher. And I said, okay, great, have that conversation with God, and we'll see where we land. And, and we all saw where we landed. And I listened to the, the podcast this weekend. Oh my gosh, it was incredible. If you didn't get a chance to listen to it, please go back and do so. God spoke a lot of great things through Carrie, and I was super excited to, um, to get to experience that with you guys, even though I wasn't here. Last week, Carrie finished up chapter 4 in James with the following preachery points, which, by the way, that's not a word. Um, I think he knows that, but uh, I, I thought it was hilarious when he said that. But he, he talked about three things. Um, what we say matters, how we plan matters, and how we respond matters. Um, and we're going to see a continuation of that same idea today as we as we move forward. And he did a really good summary of how much we've covered in this study so far. And I appreciate him doing that because we'd had a, a week off with Glenn sharing a network update. But our, our idea that we keep talking about is the fact that we want to grow in our faith. And when that happens, as we hear God speak and then do what he says, our faith is brought to a new level. We saw that in the story uh, in Cali today. We're going to see that again in our scripture today. True faith, the kind that we all want, never stops growing, right? We keep saying that over and over and over again because I want us to get it ingrained in our heads. I want it ingrained in my mind that we're never going to get to a place where we have reached it, right? Until we die, I know that's a morbid thing to think about, but until we die, our goal as believers is to become more and more and more like Christ, and we're never going to get there. Scripture is very clear about that. So our goal as a body is to continue to grow and to pursue faith, and I was so encouraged this morning by the testimonies that I heard about you guys, and even some of it didn't happen from the mic, but the conversations we had before church where you guys are telling me about the things that God's done in the last couple of weeks and the way that he's spoken 
through his word and through other believers. And so for me, being gone for a week, it's just so encouraging to come back to that and to be reminded of the beauty of what God is, is doing in our body. Um, as, as we have talked about before, James is, is teaching and, and discussing things that he has heard Jesus say. And while we, we've talked about this morning the fact that our, our faith grows as we are growing, and that's revealed to the world, we've talked about before that the inverse of that is also true. That if we're not growing, that also becomes obvious to the world. And we're going to see James kind of bring that up again today. Today's passage is kind of have, has a negative tone um, to it, and you'll see that as we read, as we start in chapter 5. But God's spoken some cool things to me to, this week, and I want to share those with you. Um, some of the commentaries that I've read this week stated that James 5 is addressing uh, is addressed specifically to unbelievers, rich unbelievers. I don't know, I couldn't figure out where they came out, came up with that. Um, we know that this letter was written to a church, perhaps he's writing to some specific, or he's addressing some specific unbelievers that are a part of that church, or baby, maybe they're just baby Christians. I, I don't know what evidence they use. But regardless, as we read this passage, my tendency and probably yours is going to be very quickly to say, this does not apply to me, okay? Because A, I'm a believer, or uh, B, I'm not rich, okay? That's typically when you're, like, the, the, the subheadings for this passage is, or for in a lot of scripture, is um, a message to rich unbelievers. And so immediately you're going to go, not me, not me, okay, move on, right? But God's got some stuff he wants to teach us this morning, and uh, let's dive in, and I want us to, to kind of see what God has for us. And again, he's going to start in chapter one by saying, come now, which is kind of, hey, y'all ever, if you if you look at this in Greek, it's, it's like a parent would say to their children, come here now. Anybody ever say that? Raise your hand. You know, kids doing, uh-huh, yep, come here now. That's what James is saying. He's wanting to get your attention. That, that phrase kind of stands alone uh, on its own. So James is trying to get our attention. He says, come now, you rich people. Weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have stored up treasure in the last days. Look, the pay that you withheld from workers who mowed your fields cries out, and the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of armies. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and have indulged yourselves. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous. Who does not resist you? Whew. Okay. Y'all ready? Buckle up. Here we go. All right. So I want to remind us of something before we really get into this today. For all of the New Testament writers, there is this sense of urgency that they are writing with, that they are teaching with, that most of us, I would say, do not feel today. For, the, for the, the writers and for the early church, there was this common understanding that Jesus' return to earth, remember he went up and he said, I'm coming back, and when I do, I'm going to establish a new kingdom. For them, that return was imminent, like it's going to happen any day now, okay? So as we're reading the New Testament letters, we need to remember that as James is teaching, he's teaching from the viewpoint of Jesus is coming back at any moment. And this is important because we're fixing to talk about money. We're going to talk about giving away money specifically, okay? And when we get to those kinds of places, immediately we put our hands in our pockets so nobody can get our money, and we close our ears and our minds because we don't want to give it away, all right? But I want us to understand there's a very particular stance that James is teaching out of, and it's their belief that this could happen 
right now. I'm not saying that we should not live with that same urgency. In fact, I think it would do us good to, to exhibit some of that urgency in our own lives. But if we're honest, it's been 2,022 years or so since Jesus uh, was raised back into heaven. And so, you know, when something has taken longer than we think it should, it could only be 10 minutes, the sense of urgency goes away. And here we are 2,000 years later, and unfortunately that's been a byproduct of the church. That sense of urgency has gone away. And I hope that the Lord will restore some of that, not of a hurry up, we got to get things right because daddy's coming home. Have y'all, was that true for y'all growing up? Like you had chores that you were supposed to do while your parents were away and you didn't do them and then you see your parents. My driveway was long, so we would see them coming and there was a mad dash to get the chores done before mom and dad got home and we got whippings because we didn't do our chores. Anybody else feeling some of that? Okay. All right, good. I'm not alone. (laughs) Luke. Yep. (laughs) Appreciate that. Little testimony from the back. I think a lot of times that's how we approach things like this is we say, oh, snap, it's about to happen. I better hurry up and get my act together. That's, that's not where we want to be at. As we've talked about before, that's a response out of I ought to instead of a heart change, which is not what we're looking for as we're developing true faith. Okay? It's important for us to understand as we unpack these verses uh, and some of the others that we're going to look at today that there is this sense of urgency that is being felt by the New Testament church. Okay? In, in discussing our sense of urgency or lack thereof, I think that for us to have sit down and have a conversation about that, I think that would be good. That'd be a good thing for our life groups to talk about is where do you stand and all that. Would, we should consider it and how it affects our decision making as, as followers of Christ. Because just because the New Testament is approaching this, this idea with this sense of urgency, because we don't feel that doesn't mean we don't apply this. It means that we need to allow Jesus to work in our hearts to put that, cert, cert, that sense of urgency back in there. Today we're going to discuss three different ways that wealth can consume us and ultimately cause us to be judged harshly. Okay, The first thing we're going to talk about is anxiety that comes from wealth. And when I say anxiety, I'm not talking about like a clinical you need to take medicine type of anxiety. That's something different. Um, I'm talking about just the normal anxiety that we exhibit throughout life. Like for example, uh, before we left to go on our trip, I couldn't sleep the night before, not because I was afraid anything was going to go wrong, not because of anything other than just kind of that anxious, restless, like I'm ready to get this trip going. And then when it's time to get up the next morning, our first step of the journey was from uh, Pollock, Louisiana to Amarillo, Texas. And I don't know if you've ever driven that road, but there is literally nothing to see. It's I-49 to Shreveport, boring. Shreveport to Dallas, boring. Dallas, oh my God, we're going to die. And then from Dallas to Amarillo, boring. Like I was talking to an engineer that I'm working with on a job and he's like, oh, where are you at on your trip? And I was like, oh, we're on the way to Amarillo. He's like, don't send pictures of that. Okay. That's when I'm talking about anxiety. That's what I'm talking about. It's just that anxious, like I'm ready to get this thing going. The second thing, sorry, I took way too long on that. The second thing is the, the temperance of wealth. It's just temporary. And then the third thing is the condemnation that can come in wealth. Okay. Before we get into all of that, I know I'm doing a really long Glenn intro this morning. I want to remind us of what it looks like when the church has, has a, prop, a proper grasp on wealth. Okay, this is a familiar that uh, a passage that we're familiar with because James is speaking negatively to the church, and he's ultimately reminding and pointing them to a way of living that we see described in other parts of the New Testament. It's the kind of life that we were created to enjoy in the garden, as James is talking about these wealthy landowners and how they're mistreating their employees, as we're thinking about 
our wealth and how God is calling us to use our resources, here's how I want us to see this. I want us to see it in the frame of when God created Adam and Eve in the garden, he created everything that they needed to live life to its fullest. And then we all know the story, sin entered the world and all of that was destroyed. With Jesus coming to earth, which I'm excited to celebrate in a couple of months, as he was born as a baby, God is reestablishing that new kingdom. And part of the way he's doing that is through working through us to create that new garden, right? And so as we're going to look at Acts chapter 2, which we've all read the story before, I want us to understand that this is not about some uh, message about us just giving all our money away. It's about us realizing that what God is trying to do in our body, in the church globally, is to help people to see the truth that God wants to be our provider, and he's going to do that through the church. Remember we talked about this a couple weeks ago, Christ in us is the hope of glory. Part of the way he's the hope of glory is by us sharing what we have with one another, and we're going to see that today. Look at this passage with me, Acts chapter 2, verse 43 through 47. This is right after the Holy Spirit has come. Peter has preached his big sermon. And it says, Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. I want all of us to see two major things in this passage. And the first is a question. Is where was their focus in this passage? It wasn't on their possessions. It was on God and on one another. As we're thinking about our possessions today, one of the things that adjustments that we need to make in our heart is we need to stop saying these are my things because as we've heard testimony after testimony after testimony through the years the things that we own are blessings from God they were given to us by God and ultimately they still belong to God we're just borrowing them for the moment okay that's number one number two I want us to see that they are taking care of the body of believers and that's we probably need to have more conversation about that at a later date, but I want us to see in this passage in chapter 2 that the people are focused on God and they're focused on the body, okay? And we'll talk some more about that later. Often when, we, when this passage is quoted, it's the intention is for people to give more, right? More to the church, more to one another, more to charities, and I want to push back on that a little bit today as we ask ourselves, as we talk about our possessions, our wealth, I want us to put the focus not on what we're going to do, not what we're going to give away, but what God wants to do in our hearts. That's what our focus, and, and I brought this passage out this morning because I want us to see this is what James is talking about. This is the kind of community he's preaching towards. But I want us to understand the only way that happens is by us focusing on our relationship with God, not thinking about our money. And I know that seems like a big juxtaposition. That's what needs to happen in our lives. We often also talk about how James references different things that he heard Jesus teach, and today is no different. There's no doubt in my mind that as James is writing this portion of the letter, he's thinking back to something specific that Jesus taught. Look at this with me in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21. He says, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, 
where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay? Let's look at James chapter 5 verse 1 again because boy doesn't that sound familiar. I want us to see that this is where James is coming from. His letter, this letter is not a plea for the rich to give more. It's simply to help them realize that they are putting their trust in something that cannot hope to give them what they need. Look at verse 1 again. He says, come now, you rich people, weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. Now, if I were to do a poll right now, not just in this church, but in, in the world, if we went out to a busy intersection in Alexander and we stopped people and we said, let me ask you a question. If you had more money, would life be less stressful? What would people say? Go ahead and say it out loud. Yes. Okay. Now, we could do another poll and ask people that if we gave you enough money to pay all the bills that you have due for this month, would your anxiety end? You know what they would say? No. Why? Because it's just going to happen again. Next month, I got the same problems, okay? So here's what I want to propose. I want to propose that the problem is not having enough money. Having enough money isn't the answer to our anxiety. Because I don't know about your life, but my bills show up every month whether I'm ready or not. Right? That's how it works for everybody. What we already know, but maybe we haven't fully processed yet, is that God, in his economy, wealth is of little value. See, when we think about our money, we think about our possessions, we think about, I need these things. I have to have these things in order to take care of my family. As a father, as a husband, as the leader of a household, I think often I have to make sure I have what I need in order to provide for my family. The problem is that the focus is all on me. I have to have, did you hear me sometimes? I said I and me and my. The problem is I'm putting the focus on me. And I don't know if you've realized this in your own life, but I can work my little fingers to the bone and it seems like I never have quite enough because the problem's not the money. The problem's my trust. First major point for today is that the pursuit, or excuse me, this first point or second point, I lost count. This first point, welcome. <laughs> the pursuit of wealth causes great anxiety. We know that, right? Last week, I'll give you an example, or the last two weeks here at the church with our finances. Colleen's aware of all of this because she's the one that does all the bill paying now, okay? But we had somebody in our community that we were helping financially. As a part of that, and I won't get into the details from the pulpit, we also had to get Igloo Air here to do some stuff. That was also expensive. Um, we had all our normal bills on top of that. We bought materials to do some other things. There was just a lot. And, and I might look really calm and collected when we're talking about it in front of everybody, but on the inside, my little brain's going, oh, my God, do we have enough money? You know, I know that God's telling us to do those things, but I'm still feeling anxious about it because, again, me, I'm supposed to be the one running the ship, right? No. We get so worked up over whether or not we're going to have enough. And, and let's be honest for a moment. For some in our congregation and in our community, having enough money to pay the bills isn't ever really an issue, right? We could shift some money around. We could give up a few luxuries, and we would make it just fine, right? Let's just be honest about that. But we also need to be honest about the fact that there are people within our church and within our communities where there are no luxuries in their life. 
And there is no money to shift around. And so when they are in a bind, that's exactly what they're in. And there's nothing that they can do about it. And so as we look at this passage today, we need to understand that we got to see this thing from both sides. That no matter where you sit in the financial world, no matter what side of the fence you're on, whether you actually have enough and you're just stressed about not being able to afford those luxuries, or if you don't have enough, all of us need to approach it in the same way. The issue is not our money. The issue is our trust. If we're the ones that are worried about being able to make ends meet, you have to ask God what to do and then listen to what he says. But if you're one of the ones that does have enough money to make ends meet, you also need to have conversations with God and listen to what he says and speak. Because often the way that God takes care of the community, just like we heard in Acts 2, is that he's going to use those that have a lot to take care of those who don't have a lot. You see, Michelle spoke to this earlier. She didn't know she was, but she did. And she said, I feel like I'm up here a lot because I'm having to really rely on God right now. And when things are easy, we kind of get relaxed. And when things are easy and we're relaxed, we're not real concerned with how much money's in our checking account or in our savings account if we have one. But when that checking account starts getting real low, all of a sudden, we're having a lot of conversations with God. And what I'm saying today is, is that if our hearts were in the right place, whether our checking account was full or it was nearly empty, we'd be having the same conversations. Second point for today is that all wealth is temporary. Again, just like last week, we see a throwback to Ecclesiastes, to the fact that, that all things are heavy. Look at verse 2 and 3 again in James chapter 5. He says, your wealth has rotted and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded. And their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have stored up treasure in these last days. Wow, that's strong, right? You remember the, the Coalette and Ecclesiastes talking all the time about how he had all the money and possessions a person could desire? And what did that bring him? Nothing. The richest person to ever live, the richest, wisest person to ever live who could literally have anything he wanted handed to him says, it's heaven. Now, if you've never had anything, it would be easy to look at a person like that and say, of course you're not satisfied. You have everything. But I, I would say that his wisdom is not just because he's rich. I can't tell you how many times, especially when I was younger, when Bethany and I first got married, we were broke as a joke, like broke, broke all the time, okay? Let me give you a little insight. We had a, one of those part-time, full-time jobs where we were paid part-time but we worked full-time, but because we were a ministry team, they paid us like one person, okay? We made $1,000 a month, and rent was five fifty for the month, okay? Now, we were young, we were married, our cars were paid for, we had like a cell phone bill, a few things like that, but we ate at my mom and daddy's house a lot, okay? That's just the reality of our lives when we first got married. And I can't tell you how many times I would try to scrap up some pennies for whatever. It didn't matter what the thing was, and just about the time I got the amount saved up that I needed, like the car broke down or a major appliance died. Raise your hand if you've ever experienced that, right? Right at the least convenient moments, something major breaks, and that little bit that you maybe have scrapped up is now gone. We can worry about money, or we can make plans, like Carrie talked about last week, or we can choose to ask God 
what we need to do in that situation and then do what he says. I'm not saying that we shouldn't save money, and James isn't speaking out against that idea either. James is addressing having so much saved up that it never moves around to the point of becoming tarnished while others around us are in desperate need. That's what James is addressing. He's saying there are people in this church, in this community, who have so much money stacked up, it hasn't moved in so long that it's begun to tarnish. And I'll just tell you, it takes gold a long time to tarnish. And you have so much stacked up that it's, it's rotting away, and yet you have people over here who are in desperate need. That's where the harsh judgment comes in. Again, this may make you uncomfortable, but be reminded that God wants us to use God wants to use us to allow others to experience this new kingdom that he's establishing. And one of the ways that he's going to do that is by using us to take care of one another. I, I, I thought this was, was really funny that I think it was Callie that mentioned this morning, but I had write, written in here, raise your hand if God has told you to do something financially that on paper did not make any sense whatsoever. Yeah. And then you do it and you go, oh, Oh, I see what's happening here. I've got a story about that in just a minute. But we got to learn that that kind of thing only happens. Those kinds of experiences, those of us that raised our hands, those only kind of experiences, those kind of experiences only happen when we are listening and we're obeying what God is telling us to do. I want to I want to share a little story with you today. This is out of Matthew chapter 17 verse 24 through 27. It says when they came to Capernaum, those who collected the temple tax approached Peter, Peter and said, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he said. When he went into the house, Jesus spoke to him first. He said, what do you think, Simon? From whom do earthly kings collect tariffs or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? From strangers, he said. Okay, remember, Jesus, son of God, going into the temple. Y'all seeing the connection there? He, Jesus is saying, I shouldn't have to pay a temple tax because I'm the son of God, not a stranger. Y'all following? Okay. But he says, then the sons are free, Jesus told him. But so we don't offend them, go to the sea, cast in a fish hook, and take the first fish that you catch. When you open its mouth, you'll find a coin. Take it and give it to them for me and for you. I just want to point out the obvious of we're talking about having or not having enough money, and Jesus is over here pulling coins out of fish's mouth. Okay? This fool, he just... He didn't even say bait to hook. Now, I'm from Louisiana, and so I'm immediately thinking there's no bait on that hook. Whether there's bait or not, throw a hook in the sea, and when you pull a fish out of the entire sea, there will be a coin in his mouth. There's, there's a point to that. We get worked up over having enough, and Jesus is over here pulling it out of fish. God has the ability to provide for any need that we have. And he can do that through something miraculous, like pulling a coin out of a fish's mouth, but more likely, he's going to do it through you and I. You hear me? More than likely, he's going to do it through another believer. Let me give you two examples of how that happens. Some of you may have heard this story about the high tunnel that we had years ago. If you have heard this story, I'm sorry, you're going to hear it again, okay? But I know I need to share this story because I woke up at six o'clock this morning thinking about the details, okay? For reference sake, a high tunnel, think greenhouse, Okay? Bethany calls me one day, I was at work, and she's like, hey, somebody from the NRCS, I don't even know who that is, called asking if we wanted a high tunnel. I think it's a scam. I was like, who called? She said, NRCS. Alex is kind of giggling. He knows who that is now. That's the National Resource Conservation Services, part of the USDA. Okay, I was like, no, 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 that's not a scam. That's a legit thing. So I called the guy, and he's like, hey, we have these grants. 
come file for a grant, you can get a high tunnel. I was like, well, what, are the, what do you have to do? He's like, you grow food in it and sell it or give it away. I was like, I'm in, let's go. So they come out and they meet and we're looking at our yard and the guys are there and we're having this discussion and Bethany's like, well, how big a one can we get? He's like, how big a one do you want? Hold on, let me get my tape measure out, son. And so literally, if you were at my house when that high tunnel was up, the high tunnel was like twice the size of my house. It was 27 feet wide, 18 feet tall, and like 100 feet long. It was massive, okay? And so here's how the program works. As they said, you're going to get this much per square foot. Go to these vendors. They know the program. Tell them how big you want. They're going to ship it to you. And I was like, okay, well, how do we pay for this? He's like, well, you got to get a loan or you got to pay for it up front. And then we reimburse you after you build it. Okay, not a problem. So we, we go measure our yard and we buy this massive high tunnel. It has to come in on an 18-wheeler. Okay, that's how big we're talking about. I, I, I thought about getting some pictures, but I don't know that it was that relevant. But this thing is huge, okay? We spend a couple of weeks building it. I got a 90-day loan from the bank. That was going to give us enough time to buy it, to install it, have them inspect it, and get a check, go pay the bank back. That's how loans work, right? You get a loan, you pay it back. And on a 90-day loan, that kind of loan, you got to pay the whole sum back, okay? So they give us the square foot amount. We call the vendors. They ship it to us. We build it. The guys come out and inspect it. Said, man, y'all did a great job. This looks wonderful. Okay, here's your check. And he hands it to me, and I look at it. And y'all, it's $1,000 short. And I was like, oh, time out, guys. Um, this is not, hold on. This is like less than what you quoted. He's like, oh, well, that per square foot, that was last year's program. We didn't know what the new number was going to be. This is the new number. You, and so now I'm left owing the bank $1,000 that I have to pay back in two weeks. And I don't have $1,000, like not even close to $1,000. Now, when, we, when that high tunnel became an option, we were just learning about hearing God and abiding. This was years ago. And when we're, when we're thinking about it, I was like, hey, God, should we do this? And he said, yes. At that time, Mickey was running a ministry called Raven, and we were providing meals to, excuse me, to shut-ins every week. It was every day of the week, wasn't it? And they had different people cooking, and we were having to buy all those groceries. And so we felt like God was telling us to do this high tunnel so that we could grow produce and give it to Raven. Okay, so God told us to do this thing. I get the check. It's $1,000 short. And I said, God, uh, like Delitha said, I did the thing. You're going to have to make this work because I don't have $1,000. That was on a Friday. Monday morning, I get to work. And to make a long story short, there's a particular part you've got to have in a gas station that this company came out with a new one, and it has all the bells and whistles. It's like the supercar of cars, okay? And no one in my territory would ever buy that thing, okay? Monday morning, first phone call I get, I answer the phone. This guy I've never talked to in my life calls me and says, hey, can you get this particular part? I was like, yeah. How long will it take? I can get it here in a week. Order it now. Okay. So I order the thing. The salesman calls me and says, hey, man, that thing's brand new. How'd you sell it? I was like, I don't know. A guy called me and he's like, well, you, you get a rebate as the salesman, not the company. You get a rebate. Guess how much the rebate was? $1,000. In a week, I had a check in the mail for $1,000. God can do miraculous things, right? He has the ability to do that. And I tell that story and I've told it a lot because that's a big number for me, okay? That's huge. And God did that because I walked in obedience, Okay, the second one I want to tell you about is about you guys. I, I, and I'm only talking about this because Bethany's not in the room. I'm going to tell another story on her while she's not in the room because I won't get in trouble that way, okay? But when Bethany was diagnosed with cancer and we started going through chemo, you guys went above and beyond with 
cooking and delivering meals to our house. And, and here's what your thoughts were, and I, I'm saying this with a fair amount of confidence because I know you is, Will's taking care of the kids and he's working and he's got to cook. We're just going to take care of the cooking part so he doesn't have to worry about that. And y'all did amazing. But here's the part I didn't tell you about. The part I didn't tell you about is that I'm looking at what chemo is going to cost and I'm looking at how much I'm going to make. And those two numbers did not match. My out-of-pocket expense did not match. And so I'm sitting there going, God, what am I going to do? And every week, you guys showed up with meals that I didn't have to buy. Was that miraculous? No. That was the church taking care of the church. And it changed my life. As cool as the high tunnel story is, I didn't get emotional about that one. Did I? God wants to reveal himself to the world around us, and he wants to do that through us. And that doesn't just mean that we share the gospel story with people. It means that we give away what we hold so dearly as God leads us to. God has the desire and the ability to take care of us. But he cannot do that when we won't let him. The third point I want to say today is an obsession over wealth will cause us to miss God. As James unfolds this last bit, he takes things to a place that many of us will probably never see, but that doesn't mean we can't learn from it. Look at verses 4 through 6 with me. He says, look, pay the pay that you withheld from workers who mowed your fields cries out, and the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of the armies. And you have lived luxuriously on the earth and indulged yourselves. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous who does not resist you. James is using a very specific example here of someone not being paid by their employer. Obviously, this, is, this chastisement, this, this fussing, as we would say out in the, in the sticks, is pointed at the employer, right? The landowner, the guy who didn't pay the bill. In this example, the employer didn't pay his workers so that he could keep the money for himself. And by not paying his people, the employer has heaped judgment upon his own head and has severely hurt the employees. This is what he's talking about when he says, you have condemned, you have murdered the righteous. He's, he's talking about the fact that these people that worked in this particular setting often were day laborers, and they were counting on that wage to feed themselves or feed their families. And so he's saying by not taking care of this responsibility, you are severely hurting these people and these families. At the end of this, he asks, a, 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 in this final translation, the last few words, he gets a bit wonky in English, but James is asking a rhetorical question where he says, um, let me pull it back up here, who does not resist you? What that really means, if you go back and look at the Greek, he's saying, does God not condemn you? And it's a rhetorical question, and the understood answer is yes. Okay. While you or, I, you or I may never own a business or be in a position where this could even take place, we all have opportunities to help others. And this is where you and I find the application. God is going to give all of us opportunities to help the people around us. Sometimes it's going to seem easy, but most of the time it's going to be difficult. It's going to be something sacrificial that God is asking you to do. God gives us those opportunities so that we can learn to trust him. And this is where I want to point us back to Acts chapter 2 again. The reason that it says they all held everything in common 
in that verse is that their value was not found in what they owned, but their value was found in whose they were. You see the difference? They found their sense of value, their purpose, and their belonging in God and in one another, not in their possessions. Therefore, they were willing to, to do whatever was required to take care of one another. It was the result of God's love overflowing out of them. They're going, you need this? Dude, I'll totally give it to you because if I need it later, God will just pull it out of a fish's mouth. Right? That's the point. We cannot be the kind of community described in Acts 2 or know God in that way if our focus is on what we have or have not done. Or have or don't have. I want to end up today by finishing uh, this small section of Matthew chapter 6 that we read a few minutes ago. Um, it's Matthew chapter 6 verse 24. It says, No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That's where the hammer falls today. If we're going to be a people of true faith, if we want to be a people that God uses to share his love with the world, we've got to decide what master we're serving. Are we willing to part with some of our possessions for the sake of knowing God and loving others? What you decide is an indicator of what has control of you. Is it the world and money or is it God? I'm not saying that the sacrifices are going to be easy, but they will be more than willing, but we will be more than willing to make them for the sake of others. And I got a quick story and then I'm going to be done. Many of you guys know, y'all are in the Wednesday night text feed that Tori, one of our former students, had her first child this week. We've been traveling from Las Vegas back to here is really a three-day trip. You can do it in two, but it's hard, okay? We're talking traveling 12, 14 hours a day for three days in a row. So we get home Friday afternoon about 3.30. We stopped in Fort Worth, spent the night, and saw the Renards, and then stopped in Tyler and saw Jessica Cantwell, and then came home. Immediately we got home. Charlie wasn't feeling well. She got car sick. Um, the girls had a cheer game, so Charlie stayed home with me. I took care of her. Saley and, I mean, not Saley, Amy and Bethany went to cheer and getting, didn't, didn't get done there till 10 o'clock or so. I drove back to town, got Amy, came home with her, and Bethany went to the hospital to see Tori because Tori needed some help and found out just as she got there, the father of the dad had just left and she was by herself. A lot of other details I won't go into, but Tori was struggling. Not like falling apart struggling, but if you've ever had a first child, you know all of the overwhelming stuff that's happening in that moment. And Bethany was able to be there for her. And Bethany called me at 11.45 on the way home. I was like, I'm so sorry. I know it's late. And I was like, no, no, no. You're doing the right thing. I'm telling that story because I know she's not in the room. Because what I want you guys to see is that she was tired. And what she wanted more than anything was to go to bed. Matter of fact, we got up this morning and she was talking about taking a nap this afternoon. That's how tired we are right now. And that's okay. God's going to call us to do things that are sacrificial. And if our focus is on ourselves, in this story today in James chapter 5, these rich landowners, all the focus was on themselves. And when all of our focus is on ourselves, on what bills we have to pay and how tired we are and how busy our week is going to be next week, if that's our focus, we're going to miss out on opportunities to love the people that God needs us to love. Because we're looking at ourselves. We're looking at our own lives. I want to leave us with this final question today, and this is the title of the sermon, is where is your heart? When it comes to sharing 
yourself and your possessions, where is your heart? Is it for yourself and your own needs or for others? Do you control your wealth or does it control you? If we're going to have true faith, we have to allow God to speak into and challenge what value we put on our possessions. In our suffering, healing, and weakness, you are revealing that you can do all things. We sang that this morning. When we feel like we don't have enough to give, whether that's our possessions or our energy, in that moment, that's when God's going to work and show you who he is. And that's when he's going to show the world around you who he is. And you will not be the one to get the credit. God will. Let's pray. God, I know it's not fun for me or for my family to think about working out of our own weakness. But God, I know that that's what you're calling us to do. That's who you've called us to be, is a body of believers that is committed to following you regardless of what it looks like, to, to, to quote David Platt, to, to write the blank check. Father, I'm asking for myself and for my church that this week as we encounter opportunities to live sacrificially, that you would allow us to not even think twice about it, that we would dive headlong into obedience, and that we would see the success that comes out of just saying yes, regardless of what it looks like. Father, I ask that for myself and for my brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.